1944, Pablo Picasso said, one must have the courage of one's vocation and the courage to make a living from one's vocation. In this podcast, we talk to artists, authors, and entrepreneurs about the steps they took to find the very courage Picasso was talking about. This isn't another podcast of type A people talking to other type A people about how great it is to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. It's a podcast where I, in my radio voice, talk to relatively normal people about stuff that other relatively normal people might care about. I'm Dallas Browning, and you're listening to The Art of Vocation. Welcome to The Art of Vocation podcast. I'm your host, Dallas Browning. In this episode, this very first episode, we have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Josh Wright, pianist extraordinaire. That's a hard word to say, extraordinaire. Josh has delighted audiences across the United States and Europe. His self-titled album topped the Billboard Classical Traditional Chart just three weeks after its release in April 2011. Josh earned a Doctor of Musical Arts degree from the University of Michigan. He earned a Master of Music degree and a Bachelor of Music degree from the University of Utah. You might recognize him from his performances on America's Got Talent Season 9, or maybe you watched him perform at various Time Out for Women conferences. Perhaps you've purchased one of his albums, attended one of his many concerts, or you're one of his 15,000 subscribers on YouTube. Regardless, I think you're going to enjoy getting to know him. In this episode, we discuss how he started his YouTube channel, growing it to millions of views, how he developed multiple streams of income while still following his passion, how creativity, consistency, and choosing the right mentors and teachers have allowed him to earn a decent living while following his passion for teaching and performing, the secret to gaining your 1,000 true fans, getting past the fear of imperfection and moving forward with consistent effort and vulnerability, and much, much, much more. So let's get to it. I apologize if I talk a little slow in this episode. I'm just figuring things out. Just turn your playback rate to like 1.5 or 2 or something. Anyway, you're going to love Josh. So here he is. All right, welcome. I've got Josh right here. Hi, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Good. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. No problem. So, so you know, with this first podcast, we're talking a lot about um, how to, well, achieve dreams at, at almost any point in your life. Mm-hmm. Now, for the listening audience, uh, Josh is a very accomplished pianist. In fact, I should have had your whole biography in front of me. So, no, I, so I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this, though. I know a few things. One, he he uh, has a PhD in piano performance. Right. And he has an amazing YouTube video channel, uh, both free and a paid version. Right. The, there's a, the majority are free. And then I put free samples of longer pre-recorded lessons. So like I'll do like an hour on one specific piece. And because of the time commitment that that takes me, I charge like five bucks for the full video, but I'll still post a portion of it on YouTube for free. And um, so let's start with the YouTube videos. Sure. So you currently have like 15,000 subscribers. Is that right? Over 15,000. Right. And you have... You've had millions of views. Mm-hmm. When you started, like, why did you start? I mostly started it uh, just as a tool for my own piano students. So 
because a lot of times in lessons, I would notice I would teach back-to-back lessons on a daily basis, obviously. And then um, I would teach one student, hey, let's do these long, short, long, short rhythms because that will really help you with your skills. And then the next kid would come in. Let's go over long, short, long, short rhythms because he also had the same problem. And I thought, well, this would be a lot more efficient if I could just say, I'm going to teach you this really quick. We'll try it together and then go watch the video for more in-depth explanations. And a few weeks in, uh, I got a request from a guy in Switzerland. And I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. Uh, Got to keep doing this. And he said, could you please do a video on sight reading? So I did that. And all of these requests started coming in. And now I probably get about four or five emails a day of people requesting different videos. And there's just no way I can obviously accommodate all of them. But I have so many videos out that I usually point them in the right direction. And if there is a special request that comes in, that's very interesting to me or something I feel like a lot of people could benefit from, I'll go and do that video as well for the free weekly video. I usually try to post at least once a week, be very consistent with that. And I'll usually alternate weeks on a totally free video and then a sample of a long uh, premium paid uh, video that they can still get a portion of. Cool. And so really it, it doesn't have to just be your students. Anybody that's learning the piano can get on YouTube. What's your channel name? How do they find you on YouTube? Yeah, it's just Josh Wright Piano, W-R-I-G-H-T Piano. Okay, yeah. so so they can supplement their own learning by watching your videos. Right, and that was the whole point with the pre-recorded lessons is people kept saying, can you do full hour long lessons on Chopin's first ballad? Or, and I mean, that's such a huge undertaking, so much time that I was like, I can't do that for free. Um, because I would be spending my whole life making these videos and it would be for my AdSense, which is very, very small, Um, you know, maybe a couple bucks a day. So I was thinking, maybe I'll try this out. And I had a student who had kind of been urging me, I want to see how you work through things. And so I I tried it and actually I launched it with 20 videos right in the bank. So I did uh, one video one on August 1st, video two on August 2nd and so forth. And that was a nice like hard punch right at the beginning to get the awareness out and a ton of uh, response came from that. So you start, so, so you actually recorded 20 videos right before you put anything online. Yeah, I think I recorded about 10 and I was like, this will be a, g- a good motivator for me to finish the other 10 because I said on every Facebook or Google Plus or Twitter post, day one of 20. And so when I when you're posting day one and you only have 10 videos, you're like, I better get going on day 11 and 12. And so I think that's a good uh, thing. And also, like I said earlier, setting a schedule. So so wait, so yeah. you, you committed already in social media to 20 videos right. before you had them. Right. So you decided, all right, so you did this thing for your students and you thought this might be interesting to try. So you actually, you actually committed that you're going to do 20 before you even knew how much it might suck to, to videotape them or to, or to release each one. That, that was for the, the, um, the premium videos. For the yes. premium. Yeah, so for the free videos, I did that for about five years and I was super lame. I would post you know, a batch of five probably on the same day and then not post for six months. My friend's like, man, you should really be way more consistent because this channel is so good, but it's so pathetic at the same time. And so I took that to heart and I, I started reading more books. And sure enough, as soon as I start posting on a weekly basis, like tons of people are you know, consistently watching it. Really? So, so. They, they, they look forward, they, like that consistency 
Yeah. And a lot of people, (laughs) yeah, a lot of people say, oh, I just love, like, I have this funny um, retired old lady student in London. She's like, I I just look forward each Friday to waking up to your video. You know, it's just like, it's so funny. (laughs) So um, it's, I, I think it's something that people look forward to. And when I've subscribed to other YouTube channels, I like crave for them to post a new video and right. like, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be so great. So if you can become that for somebody, that's like we were talking the other day before this podcast, it's like building a thousand true fans. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be a part of their lives in a non-creepy way <laughs> uh, in, in order to start to get a very loyal fan base that will buy your stuff if you post it, that will... Uh, be so grateful for your free stuff and who will just be good lifelong friends. I mean, so many people who you found me on YouTube are now some of my great friends in life that I don't expect anything from. It's just fun to go have dinner with them. Right. Things like that. Right. So, so, okay. Here's, here's another question then on, on that same line. <clears throat> I mean, sometimes I've tried, <laughs> I've started so many blogs and you know you get so many posts in and then maybe you get some readers and you have some consistency but the moment the moment i don't know some people out there some creators out there right the moment they feel oh there's people reading this or watching this Uh um and they expect a certain level of quality and it almost like freak it almost blocks you Uh so how did you i mean did you ever experience that did you ever like Oh man, I know I need to do this every week, but I don't know that I have something this week. Or did you ever feel a creative block? Did you ever feel resistance? Um, or, or did you just kind of decide you're going to be consistent and do yeah, it? Yeah, that, that's a great question and something I've thought a lot about. And I've, I've met a lot of resistance. Um, I would say probably like 95% is positive, you know, feedback on my channel. People are very grateful for the fact that I have a lot of education and I've paid a ton of money and my parents have paid a ton of money before I left the house to study with the world's best teachers. And um, I've got my doctorate degree. I've recorded all these albums. And I think people are grateful for the fact that, hey, this guy could just ignore us, but he's actually like, doing something and then they become your supporters but there are also ridiculous posts that people like one time it was so funny i i made a video called finding inspiration and it's just all about how i find inspiration in my practice sessions if i'm feeling bored or down or discouraged and like there's just like glowing comments like oh you this is all i needed to inspire me oh this was the greatest video i've seen all week and then just f you josh (laughs) and then then the next one's like you're just like such a good beacon of light in my life and so it's just like why would that guy post that (laughs) negative comment i mean it wasn't like i hated your video because and you meet meet pointless faceless resistance online and it's laughable but you can also take it very personally getting back to your point of hey i actually have people that are watching and what if I don't meet up to their standards? I think the biggest thing that I struggle with and that most people struggle with is just to accept yourself as you are and continuously try to get better, but be real with people. And I will flat out tell people my weaknesses or I'll mess up in a video. I'll Mm -hmm. say, here's how to play this Chopin etude and then I'll screw it up and I'll say, see, like (laughs) it happens to me too, even though I've played for over 20 years. So you'll keep that. 
You'll... I'll keep it in the video. And actually that is a point of endearment and uh, something people like, uh, something that people have commented and said, I'm so glad you left those mistakes and it makes me feel better about myself because so many people in this classical music industry are so snobby and uh, they have this level of expectation that if it's not perfect, then it's crap. Um, and I'm not saying you want to put out flawed material all the time, but there is an element of reality that we all have to face. And if we only look at these professionals who have these manicured videos that are just so perfect, then we lose touch with reality. And I think that's what people are craving more than anything is high levels of inspiration and in art, but at a real level. Mm -hmm. Okay. I agree. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. It makes it more real. It makes it more approachable. So let's talk a little bit about how how you got to this point. Because when I was taking piano, you know, at age seven, I, I remember envisioning, you know, playing like chariots of fire in a stadium full of people, <laughs> you know, and they'd be cheering for me. And and um, and so what? What I mean, the path to get to where you are today, what does that look like? How, how, how many hours did you practice, you know, all throughout like your life? And, and what kind of is, is a career path? What does your path look like? The path is always unclear. And that's the hard thing uh, being a classical musician is once you kind of quote unquote, make it or achieve a certain degree of music, then the path's all the more unclear. Like looking forward to your next degree, like, oh, I'm going to go for my master's. Now I'm going to get my doctorate. That actually is a, a concrete path. Now that I just finished my doctorate this last May, it's just like, well, what do I do now? And it's the most fun I've been having. And it's also the most scary because you don't know. Getting there is a whole different story. It's you've got to make the investment with a good teacher. Everybody asks me what's the biggest piece of advice besides practicing that you'd give me. And I think it's uh, just, you know, obviously hard work and finding a good teacher. So I've always had the best teachers we could afford. How do you find a good teacher? Um, I like to look at the students who are winning competitions and performing a lot and find out who their teachers are. So like in Utah, for instance, there's um, there's many, many great teachers, but there's like four that come to my mind right away. So one at Utah State is Gary Amano. One at BYU is Irene Peary. Um, one at Weber State is um, Eugene Yang. And my teacher at the University of Utah, who's clearly the best, <laughs> is uh, Dr. Susan Duhlmeyer. And so, you know, getting with a well-established teacher who's reputable, who's had years in the field, or someone who inspires your kid or you. Um, you got to find somebody like that. Like my little brother, Jared, so charming and charismatic. Yes, he does have his degree in piano performance, but people aren't necessarily paying him for that expertise. They're paying for him for his expertise in motivating kids. He's just a genius at it. So finding someone who inspires you is the most important, and then they need to be knowledgeable as well. So do you start, if you want to get your kids, you know, into piano. Say there's parents out there, they're they're wanting to get their kids excited about piano, they want to get them into it. Do they go with some of these like are, are there are there teachers you look for for kids and and at the in like beginner and intermediate levels and then you level up to other teachers or how does that work? That that's pretty standard because most teachers like um, I know Susan has made quite a few exceptions in the past where she's taken on beginners, which is 
they're lucky. Um, but I, I wasn't that lucky to start with her, but I was lucky. I started with my grandma and she was great, but, um, you know, uh, I, I take on beginners, uh, just a few, and it's not my favorite thing, but um, I noticed if you start them off right and they're motivated and excited about piano, you can achieve that. I think, you know, starting off with a neighborhood teacher just to get a flavor for it, if they're a cool person and they know something about music, why not try it? You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to pay, you know, 80 or 100 bucks an hour for a teacher for my five-year-old if they're dabbling with it and they're wanting to explore soccer and baseball and violin and piano. I don't want to be paying, you know, 80 bucks an hour, 100, whatever it is, the going rate in your area for, um, you know, someone with their doctorate and things like that. So I would say start them out. And then if they like it and they've got a natural knack for it, then move up and teacher. And then once that teacher kind of hits a wall, maybe move up even more. And there are, you, you will get lucky with some teachers you could stay with for your life. You know, mm-hmm. I still see Susan to this day, um, you know, maybe just every couple of months I'll go play or something that I have questions with. And um, she still is a source of inspiration. So yeah, let's ask that. Why do you need a teacher still? Yeah. Um, first of all, I could see so many different teachers and they'd all tell me different things, but they, if they're the high level of teacher, all those things would be good. So there's an endless amount to music and that's the beautiful and frustrating thing about it. Um, going to my teachers is important because it keeps me sharp. It keeps my ideas fresh. And I remember Long Long, uh, even though I'm not a huge fan of um, Long Long, I think he's uh, very... Long Long's a teacher. Long Long is the famous uh, Chinese pianist or Lang Lang or whatever okay. people call him. Yeah, he's like the rock star. He's, I mean, he sells out like every concert he plays, it seems like. He's amazing. And technically, my goodness, he's so good. But he once said, I still see a teacher. I mean, he's got probably the biggest career of any concert pianist alive today. I mean, he's just always performing, always in demand. And he said, Uh, I still see a teacher because my playing becomes strange if I don't. It's not that he's going to be missing notes or not counting the rhythms right. Your interpretation becomes strange if you just live in your own little bubble. So Mm -hmm. that's why I continuously play for my teachers to stay sharp and keep my ideas fresh. It's Mm -hmm. a small investment for me to remain inspired. And sometimes I just need a little boost too, creatively. I just feel kind of dead and, you know, that hundred bucks or whatever I'm paying or 200, 300 bucks, depending on the teacher, (laughs) uh, is, is worth the investment for me to kind of recharge those batteries. So, so let's talk a little bit about competitions then. Uh Um, I mean, how, what, what are judges looking for? Because if you watch some of them, it sounds like, you know, every, everybody performing is, is amazing and maybe there's a missed note or something mm-hmm. but but beyond beyond all right we got all the notes right we got the rhythm right um, what else do judges look for so uh, at a basic level they're gonna be looking for good dynamics and good phrasing um, so like you can feel kind of the rise and fall of the melodic lines and good balance between the hands is your accompaniment like drowning out your melody. Th- those would be very basic things that you'd get cut for right away if they, if those aren't good. The things that they're really looking for are touch and artistry and your own voice. So if you listen to someone as crazy as Glenn Gould, um, people either usually like 
worship Glenn Gould or they hate him. I have a great respect for Glenn Gould because he was one of the strangest pianists in the world. Like he was, he hums during all of his recordings. And if you watch him, you think he's possessed almost, but he's so unique and he does so many things that are so ingenious, even though they're extremely strange. I think finding your own voice is what judges are looking for. So some judges are very uncreative people, and so they're going to choose the robots that come play every note perfectly. But great artists, like one of my teachers, Sergei Babayan, you know, Google any of the interviews he's done, and you'll have a wide understanding of what people are looking for. They're looking for great artists. It's like, you know, how many impressionist painters were there? Probably thousands or tens of thousands, but how many Monets were there? Why was he different? Was it luck? Like, did someone just find him? I don't think so. I mean, he kept producing such masterpieces or um, any of these other great visual artists or um, same thing with dancers. What makes a great dancer? They can all move. They're super strong. They're all disciplined. But I think it's the the artistry that uh, makes them stand out. Okay. So so that that gets us onto something that I, that I think is interesting in, in all categories, but especially art, um, because it seems so subjective. Right. Right. And you said something about, about Monet, right. That he didn't just get lucky, um, in your opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> what do you think leads to that level of artistry? Is it something, is it just genetics, um, or, or, can you can you achieve that with the right commitment and instruction? And I mean, you know, timing is a lot, right? Right. Um, but what what's kind of your thought on that as far as? Sure. And I, I don't feel like I'm that kind of artist either. Most people would like, most people who aren't concert pianists would say, you're definitely that kind of artist. You're like, You've achieved the highest level, but um, I don't think I have. And I'm still searching and I'm still wondering what my career is going to turn out like. Um, I will make my own career successful just through working really hard. But so far as achieving those insanely high levels, it, it comes through hard work. It comes through, it does, some of it is genetics. I, I do have some natural abilities that I've noticed that other people don't have. And there are certain... Are are we talking about like finger span? I don't think hand size really plays much into it, to be honest. I mean, if you have absolutely tiny hands, it's going to be an uphill battle for sure. And so I think large hands are a small advantage, but... um, I think genetic, like your ear, how can how you can hear things, and you can train yourself to do almost anything. But there is something to be said about natural talent. Um, for instance, there's a boy named Daniel Trifonov. Uh, he's Babayan's star student, and um, he won like back to back, like three of the biggest competitions in the world. And now he's turning away hundreds of concert offers a year. I mean, he had to whittle down a couple of years ago, his concert schedule from 190 offers down to 90. And I mean, 90 in a year, he's performing every four days then. And that's the most tiring lifestyle in the world. And he still manages, I've talked to him at dinner, like we went to dinner one time with Babayan. And um, after his concert, we've talked and he said, on a bad day, I do three hours on good days, seven every day. And it's just like, okay, you can't, you cannot uh, argue with that kind of work ethic. So I think work ethic and then having inspiring sources of inspiration, reading a lot, um, you know, of inspiring books. 
and, and so far as like this podcast, you know, making money or making a successful career and a meaningful career, you know, reading books by, by great um, writers like Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. That's a great exercise. And then my final um, uh, thought was like in Napoleon Hill's book was like he talks about like a mastermind team. I can't mm-hmm. remember the exact yeah, term. Yeah, mastermind group. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta have you got you need to surround yourself with people that are inspiring and that push you in different ways. And so, um, some of my best friends, one of my best friends is my designer for my albums, and one of my best friends is my marketing guru guy. I just happen to really like them as people too, and we became friends just not because of their skills, obviously, but it just is a huge benefit. My wife is really good with computers. So she helps me um, with my social media and building my website and things like that. So it's not when you see my any type of success I've had, it's not just me. It's it's also that mastermind team and my teachers and my family. And I, if, if you're a spiritual person, I, I am, you know, I, I attribute a lot of the success to God and things like that. So I think there's so much that goes into making an artist special and having any type of success is is uh, you have to be very well rounded in all of those areas because trying to make a living as a pianist is a scary and difficult thing, but it's also very rewarding. Okay, let's let's talk more on that now. Um, how do you? I mean, you're clearly intelligent. You you have a lot of things that you could do. So, at what point do you say to yourself, no? I'm going to per, I'm going to pursue a career with piano performance. I mean, mm-hmm. at, at what point is it a nice hobby? How did it come from? Oh gosh, yeah, Josh is a great pianist, and he plays at church, and everybody likes it. Like, how does it go from that to really having the guts to turn it into a career, and 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 avoid sort of the safer jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Going to school and business and and, uh, you know, I could always teach if I wanted to, right. you know, and so instead of, of taking that kind of, you know, safer route, what, what, what led you to, to making this decision to? Yeah, I think the biggest underlying factor is that you can't live without it. You can't imagine yourself doing anything else. And there <laughs> There's been famous concert pianists that have said, if you can imagine doing anything else besides piano performance, go do that. You know, because um, it is such a brutal career and it's constant self-doubt. Even if you're the most confident person in the world, the world will beat you down time and time again as a musician and an artist. It just happens to every single one of them. There's, I mean, if I look back in history, Mendelssohn was kind of a, you know, a blessed child. He was... Like he had the best teachers and his parents hired symphonies to come play his works and things, but he still had trials. And then you look at someone like Beethoven or Chopin, like a life of horrible sickness and disease and, um, you know, constant trials. They just couldn't not do it. So I think that's a critical thing. And then the second thing is you have to make up in your mind. I've just got to, if I'm going to do this, I've got to be creative. I've got to stand out. And that's something that I'm struggling with right now because I feel a great pull from some of my teachers. Like you should be a great performer and compete and do all these things. But I feel a pull more from reality. Like, hey, you're making way more money teaching your 40 students on Skype than you Mm -hmm. ever would be performing. Unless you got to the highest level, then you'd make way more money. Um, Or 
all this social media that you're doing with YouTube and these videos, what a great way to supplement your income and what a great way to enrich the lives of others in a simple, meaningful way right from your basement. Or you're doing local concerts or you're making your own self-produced albums. Like right now, like my current crisis <laughs> as of this moment is, do I go compete in this competition in London or do I start working on a Chopin CD? And I'm just thinking, okay, unless I win the competition, <laughs> nothing will come of that. But no matter what, that Chopin album is going to be successful. So it's kind of like, uh, you're an idiot. Do the Chopin album. But but couldn't <laughs> you start the Chopin album after London? You or is could. it a financial thing? Like, why it's, why is this even a Yeah, because you, you, you think, okay, I could spend all that money on the recording equipment or I could fly to London in the chances that I might win. Then I'd make back my investment and have a couple cool gigs. Then it'd probably be over. Mm. But you kind of, it's just like this weird drive inside of you. Like, I want to go compete. Like, right. I want to push myself to these higher levels. So it's like this constant battle with like attaining the highest skill and being practical about how you do it. And most people just go for the highest skill. They just sit in the practice room day in and day out. They could, mm. with certain pieces, they could play circles around me, like the second Chopin etude I totally suck at. And, you know, some 12-year-olds in China could play it faster than me. I'm not saying that's the true with most pieces. Most pieces I'm pretty good at, but, you know, there's definite weaknesses there. But if I tried for maybe three or four months, I'm sure I could get it totally up to speed, but does that etude really affect my life? And some people, it will drive them crazy and they won't pursue practical things because they're obsessed with achieving that artistry. And then they're so depressed because they don't have any money or any job that they end up quitting piano altogether. And that's something I was always scared of is being broke as a musician. So I, I've read a lot of finance books growing up and I've always made sure I was good at saving and good with my money because I wanted to uh, make a living doing music and I knew it would be kind of hard. So I just made the decision when I was like 15 years old, I'm not working with my dad in construction anymore. I'm going to start my own studio and I'm going to save as much as I can and I'm going to make a career in music. And, and I have. So, okay. So you made this decision how how is that different like where did the i mean you mentioned thinking you're rich you know and he talks about desire mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there that they want to do things and they want to save money and and they have to muster up all this discipline right they have to go without you know having a really fun weekend um because they're saving up for their future lifestyle, <laughs> you know, and and it's like most people can't do that, but but there's there's a there's a real genuine come from that you have where it's like I really want to be a musician. I understand some of the obstacles I'm going to face. So while I'm young, I'm going to sort of set things in place. How how have you been able to overcome the instant gratification that sort of you know, throws other people's plans off. I think uh, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey's plan, you know, of just trying to stay debt free. I mean, mm -hmm. every little thing he says, I don't necessarily agree with, but I think he's a smart guy. And a lot of people will call into his show. I'm a total geek. I listen to his show and uh, <laughs> they'll say, okay, my income fluctuates month to month. What do I do? He's like, write down Number one, you're going to pay for food. Number two, you're going to pay your lights and your water. Number three, you're going to pay your mortgage. And you got to do that with life too. I think you say, okay, no matter what, I'm going to, if you're spiritual, I'm going to pay my tithing first. And then number two, 
I'm going to pay all my basic bills. Then after you're done with your bills, what do you pay for it? I'm going to actually invest in some lessons. Oh my gosh, you're going to pay 400 bucks in lessons when you've only got 500 left over. Yeah, I will do that because it's worth it to me in the long run. And then that makes me mad. I'm like, oh, I'm going to spend all my money on that. How can I make money based on that investment? Could I post some free YouTube videos and start generating some ad revenue um, based on what I learned in those lessons and sharing some of the insights and tips in the way I practiced it? Okay, cool. Uh, if I do that, then maybe I could teach on Skype. I'm going to lose all my income. I'm going to do my doctorate in Michigan. All my students are in Utah. How could I capitalize on that? I'll try Skype lessons. Five students in Utah said yes, but then some students in China. So you have to prioritize first and you have to say what's most important to me and then you try to be creative and my cousin and I were talking one time and he said I was reading a book and um, they were teaching the mentality of the negative thing of teaching kids to say we can't afford it and I don't think that's negative by the way but he said the guy in the book said that's bad he said rather say to the kids, how can we afford it? And I think that applies to your career as well. How can I make this? Okay, I've got to forego all this other stuff. So I think that's the steps. Prioritize your money first. Prioritize your career. And then look for ways that you can supplement to make more mm -hmm. based on the skills that you acquire from investing in your career. That was like a long it. answer. No, it's a great answer. <laughs> I hope everybody's taking notes. Um, <clears throat> I'm taking notes. Uh, so, so just a couple more things. Um, 12 year olds in China. Mm -hmm. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you see these videos of these child prodigies and they're amazing. And, you know, you grow up and you're good and you get a lot of, um, you know, approval and, and affirmation. And then you see videos like these and it's like, Oh, that kid's just just a natural, like he's a genius. He's and he's younger than me. Yeah. Um, how how do you how do you decide? Okay, but I can get there if I want. Like even though it it appears that it didn't take him a ton of work or something, you know, the world saying, oh, he's just a genius, and this just comes easily to him. Yeah. Um, I mean, you. It sounds like you're saying you don't have to be. You don't have look work hard work really does make a difference here. If yeah. you stay focused, you can be a normal person and your desire, your dream, your effort, and probably more than anything, your effort's going to compensate for your lack of genius. Is that I mean, can you expound on that? Or can you yeah. how, how how did you kind of go through or get through those moments where you're like and maybe you never had them. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe that you're also one of those geniuses. There's probably like videos of you out on the internet when you were a kid. But um, did you ever experience that? Is that ever sort of a thought or something? So I think in Utah, I was kind of a prodigy. Mm -hmm. um, I was always maybe like top five or so. And, you know, uh, people would hate me, you know, because I would win competitions here. But then I'd go get my butt kicked, you know, in other places. And so I realized very quickly I'm not that special. Um and so my my thing is always 
I'm going to outwork everyone. I can't even tell you how many people are like, how, how are you successful? Um, start posting stuff on YouTube. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. You never see anything from them on YouTube. It's the fact that other people are lazy that I think some of my success <laughs> actually has come <laughs> forth. Because if Murray Pariah and uh, Martha Argerich and Babayan and Daniel Trifonoff, if they were posting videos, oh, my channel would be viewed much less, I'm sure, you know, because everyone would be watching theirs. So it's the fact that First of all, other people are lazy. The other thing that I think that I just wanted to, that came to mind when you were asking that, so I was reading an interview the other day by Bob Ayan. He was, he's judging the Hamamatsu competition in Japan and he won that like 25 years ago or so. And he, they were saying, um, how do you like make a career after concerts uh, or after competitions? Even if you win the competitions, he said, the, the challenge starts after you win the competition because you think, oh, all these managers are going to come up and sign me and they're going to want to give me all these concerts, all that kind of stuff. And he said, in very rare cases, they might. But you don't have time to be depressed. You don't have time to be inactive. You have to act. You have to be proactive. And I think that's the people who will just keep cranking it out, even if you're getting 10 views a week on YouTube, you know, and you just keep cranking it out and you're producing good quality content and you're working hard at it and you're putting in your whole soul. Eventually, I think you got to have some sort of success. And it's just it's just the law of, you know, whoever puts in the heart most work will eventually win. Mm -hmm. um, and there are geniuses out there, but they're very few. Um Usually the people who are successful are the ones who've worked the hardest. So you don't have to worry about being a special snowflake. Right. But you do have to have a little bit of natural talent. I teach um, students of all ages and abilities, and there are some that just aren't that great. No matter how much work they put in, they're just not very good. And so I think you do want to play to your strengths. I remember um, someone saying, like, if you're really naturally gifted at cello but you suck at basketball – if you want to be a pro basketball player, it will be the hardest uphill battle ever and you may not make it. Whereas if you're really good at cello, go do that. Mm -hmm. So you kind of do want to play to your strengths. Mm -hmm. So if you're a great you know, craftsman, work on that. Don't go into business just because you think you can make more doing that. I, I think you do want to play to your strengths. Even if you feel like your passion might be something a little bit different, make your, your uh, greatest strengths play to your strengths rather than your weaknesses. We always focus on our weaknesses, but if we actually just focus on our strengths, they'll become so strong that they'll kind of cancel out the weaknesses. All right, so, so I have a question on that. Um, I mean, what if your strengths are like the strengths that maybe everybody has or, or maybe don't make much money or your strengths, <laughs> or your strengths aren't that strong? So say you're like an actor but you're not a very good one, but that's probably the best thing you do. What should that person do? I don't know. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, if you're not good at anything, um, and everyone's good at something, but if you're not good at anything that you could realistically monetize, or um, I think then you pick the next best thing. You pick the thing that you're best at, and you go for that. And if that doesn't work, then you go down your list. Like you don't want to start with, hey, I suck at everything, so let's pick the thing I suck the most at because I like that the most. <laughs> I would still play to your strengths because you'll have a better chance. This is such a competitive world. And with the internet, things uh, became way harder and way easier all mm -hmm. at once because now we have visible competition. Mm -hmm. So say you're like the hot 
dog, you know, in your town for a certain skill, but now Amazon's on there. Amazon's going to crush you if you're really not that great, you know, with selling something. Um, so, but you, if you are good at it, you can sell your stuff worldwide. And so right. I think there's a, a disadvantage and advantage, mostly advantage to living in the age we do. You know, I, I, I think so too. In fact, I think we're entering a time of, of mass niche, right? Where you, person XYZ, may not be the best at something in particular, mm -hmm. but they've got a unique combination of things that now that the whole world has access to their content or their ideas or their whatever, mm -hmm. right? That, that there's almost a market. I mean, that kind of does go back to what Kevin Kelly said about the thousand true fans, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what you're saying is, what I'm hearing is, look, it's not too late. Like, you, you have artistic endeavors or you have something that you are, you have some natural inclination toward. Um, yes, it's competitive out there. But if you really put forth the effort, if you make quality, if you are consistent and, and you discover and develop your voice, mm -hmm. eventually there are going to be people that resonate with that that are going to to follow you, to buy what you're selling and, and, and you know, they'll be your true fans, essentially. Like, there is a place for you because <laughs> the whole world is open to us. Right. Yeah, I think I was talking to my cousin and it was so funny. He's like a really big fan of folk music. Um, we drove up to Idaho together and we were talking about, um, he's like, oh, I love this band. I don't even know what their name was. It was like, <laughs> like pitchforks and whips or, you know, like some like two, two random farming instruments. I don't even remember what it was called. And he said, yeah, they're just so awesome. Listen to their stuff. And it was okay. I mean, like we, we enjoyed it. Like Lindsay and I are super open-minded about all types of music, being classical musicians, you just kind of become open-minded because there's so many different styles, even within classical. And he said, yeah, we went to their concert and it's like a cult following. I was like, how many people were there? He's like, oh, they flew in from Virginia. There was about 40 people there. And then if I had 40 people at my concerts, like I'm always depressed. I'm like, I suck. And so, but those, those types, of, types of, like you said, niche markets, like those will, they will be fans for life. And I think that's, you know, just briefly touching on this. If you can just coddle and nurture those fans that you do have and let them know how grateful you are and, and do like what Gary Vaynerchuk says in his book. I think it's called Jab, 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 Right Hook. Give them stuff, give them stuff, give them stuff. Then occasionally ask, you know, and they will always reciprocate if you're always giving them nice stuff. And I think you can do so many weird things in life that are like even if you're not good at something, you can create something unique. You don't necessarily have to be that great at it. I mean, um, John Schmidt, great, good pianist, maybe even great, you know, but I'd probably say good. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> but I mean, holy smokes, they are geniuses with marketing, light years ahead of where I'm at. And um, and I, I even have a friend, and the reason I can kind of say that they is- They being the- the piano guys, the yeah. Guys. And the reason I can say that is, is I don't have anything against him at all. I, I, I've heard he's like the nicest guy in the world. But my friend, um, he was at one of his concerts and he said, so why don't you uh, play like the classics? He's like, because I know that would mean I have to practice like eight hours a day and I just don't want to. So he figured out a different way 
to be a concert pianist playing for way more people than any other classical artist was that's going to take way more work to prepare your repertoire for. And he did it in such a way that he's super successful now. Wow. So. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, just a couple more questions then. Um, I hear all the time from adults, oh man, I wish I hadn't quit piano. Mm -hmm. And and I want to say it's not too late. Mm -mm. So what what would your what what's your advice to adults out there that that say oh I should have stuck with piano? The most if you're wanting to get back into it, uh, the most important thing is finding someone who inspires you. And it's just like a little kid. The only time I would say, you know, you have to have an inspiring teacher, but the time that you kind of forego, like, I want to feel inspired every lesson is if you want to be a concert pianist, you're going to go to your lesson no matter what, and you're going to work your butt off. And if your teacher's not inspiring, you're still going to listen to every detail they say. But for little kids and for adults coming back to it, you want to find someone who you get excited for to go and just be around that person every lesson. Because if, if they inspire you, like I have this old guy I teach. He's really a nice guy. I like him a lot. He's not that old. So he, if he hears this <laughs> podcast, he'll be offended. But he's probably in his late 50s or something, maybe 60s. And he said, um, you know, I just need to keep coming. And he's a great pianist. Uh, he studied in college and then he quit. Um, and he said, I just need to keep coming to these lessons, even if I feel like I make no progress because when I'm around you, I get inspired and I think of things that I didn't think of before and it gives me new ideas and keeps me inspired. Same thing with me, with my teachers. Even if I feel like, oh, this piece is not ready to take to my teacher, sometimes I'll just take it anyway and we'll work through it and I will walk out feeling like on fire. I'll be like, yes, that's just what I needed. Even just being around those types of people. So that's the advice. You got to have a teacher that inspires you or at least supplement a decent teacher in your area with online lessons like on YouTube or someone who really does inspire you. So always make sure you have that fire kindled by and stoked by someone who you really like to be around. It's yeah. very important because if, if it's just for piano lessons, you're going to feel like so bad because you're not good. <laughs> Go onto YouTube and right. you'll see 10 year olds who are way better than you. <laughs> and I, I do the same thing. I'm a concert pianist and I, I sometimes get, you know, passed up by these little kids uh, with certain pieces. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, but I do it because I love it. And that's what you got to do as an adult student. You do it because you love it. Remember why you're doing it and find someone who's going to constantly nurture that in you. Does playing piano affect the way your brain works? I am not a scientist and there's a million studies that say if you played piano when you were young, you're going to be, your IQ is raised five points. It's like, I don't know if there's a whole lot of science to that, but I know for a fact that it has blessed my life in so many ways. It provided discipline and um, I think it made me a lot smarter, um, but you, you never know yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like you can't rewind your life and try it another way and compare the results. But yes, I do think that being a musician can make you smarter and um, can bless your life just in so many ways. It provides a lot of balance and it makes you think creatively. Even if you're a robot of a piano player, you're still thinking more creatively than the average human being. Right. Um, what, do you have a favorite author or a favorite book or a list of them? Oh man, I am not very well read and that's like always a point of weakness. <laughs> so, but I do have some books I've read that I really liked. I, like I said, Think and Grow Rich is, is one of the greats. I think reading scripture, um, no matter what religion you might be, reading spiritual texts is very important because um, even someone who's an atheist can certainly see that we are 
there's more to this life there, there's a spiritual element to living you know even if you don't believe in god or something there's a spiritual element to living so making sure you get a good healthy dose of that um i've read just all sorts of books like the brand within by damon john from the shark tank i read some of that and that was actually there's some insights <laughs> i haven't heard in of that, that. <laughs> so yeah it wasn't my favorite read <laughs> i don't know how much I i've read uh, obviously dave ramsey's book um i think for me i like to listen to stuff a lot more maybe it's mm. my musician mm-hmm. but i listen to tons of podcasts like so the accidental creative james altitor show um what are some of the others that i've listened to uh fire nation or i don't know what it's called the guy annoys the the heck out of me his voice but he he gets the coolest interviews and the guys who he does interview are just amazing um or the side hustle nation kind of along the lines of what we're talking about today how, how you can make a career uh or a side income um doing something you're really passionate about that's a really fun hmm. one to listen to yeah, check that out so cool stuff like that I, I know that's not a very inspiring list no I, no i i mean side hustle nation i want to check that out cool um favorite composer uh, definitely Chopin and um, close second would be Rachmaninoff and uh, Schubert has been growing on me a little bit more lately which is he's definitely an acquired taste I used to hate Schubert and Schumann and now they're two of my favorites oh cool best so so um, as far as buying your music mm-hmm. Desert Book you've got albums at Desert Book uh-huh. or we can find you on iTunes Yep. Or your website? Yeah, the website would be, if, if anyone is going to buy them, that would be what my preferred method because I can sign a CD for you and all the funds actually go to help me in my career, whereas with certain other labels, <laughs> I get very little. No, no, but those have been great for my career. And that's at? That's just joshwrightpiano.com. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else that, that you want to share with the, the world? I don't know. Um, I would just say, you know, listening to these podcasts, great job, you know, for actually taking the initiative to do that. And then just spend enough time thinking like everyone's like, start right away. But, you know, give yourself some time to think and start doing things along the way to immediately start acting. And then my everyone says, if you had to say one lesson uh, to the world, because I've done a couple other podcasts, what would it be? And I always say, if you're grateful, um, your life will be so bounteous. Like, because if you realize what you have and you're grateful for what you have, then embarking on this crazy journey as a concert pianist will be a little less scary because you'll look around you and, you know, it's so interesting. I go, I've done some piano festivals and they're in very ritzy places like the Hamptons. And it's so cool to walk into a house that you know you'll never be able to afford as a musician <laughs> even if you're super successful you know these 50 100 million dollar houses in the hamptons plus i'd never really want that anyway but um and it's so satisfying to sit down at that piano and say this guy with this endless amount of money can't do this i can do it you know so right. become a genius at what you absolutely care about. Don't just chase after the money. Be grateful for what you have and then chase after what really means a lot to you. Love it. Let's end it with that. Josh Wright, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, I'm Dallas Browning and we'll talk to you next week.